does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. NBA Draft Day is here. Good Thursday morning. Kevin Bowen, Jay Query, and Mark Dykton. Uh, boys, any shenanigans last night with the longest daylight of the year? Uh, longest winning streak in nearly 70 years for the Reds. Don't question. look now, but here come the Red Legs. That's right. Gosh, I just I love the energy with that, Mark. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, when you do something the Big Red Machine didn't even do, that's pretty darn good. It is, am- I-, I think, the most amazing part of the Reds' 11-game win streak is not that it's the longest win streak ever for a team that lost 100 games the previous year, not that you know, is Ellie De La Cruz the, you know, I, I don't know if that's that's clearly a spark for them. But it's the fact that, in my opinion, and I know that the 29 Yankees are, you know, I didn't see them play. I didn't really see the Big Red Machine play. But the fact that the 75 North 76 Reds ever put together an 11-game win streak is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, that, that element stands out to me. The other one, Jake, is the closeness of these games. I mean extremely entertaining and it's not like they've been dominant of course 11 wins 11 wins but the wins are by four runs one run one run one run three one seven two one two and yesterday down three nothing five unanswered that always fairly with a two-run homer in the eighth like that's kind of what their mo has been this season of a ton of comeback victories and 11 in a row and a well-deserved day off for the Red Lakes today as they are 40 and 35. It kind of always gives you pause when a win streak has games that are that close because you're like, man, that could all come in like a house of cards, right? Yeah, you're like, is this a fluke? Which with the Reds, typically, that is the case. Uh, Greg Regstraw going to join us here a little bit later in the 7 o'clock hour. I know we usually have Rake on Fridays. We'll bump him up a day because it'll be a lot of draft reaction Tomorrow, Scott Agnes at 9 o'clock going to join us to preview tonight. Again, our coverage will begin at 7, the draft at 8, and 24 hours after we last chatted with you. Um, Jake, I said it several times yesterday, I wanted to see the Pacers turn one of those late first-round picks into a 2024 pick. And lo and behold, they did that yesterday with a trade for Denver to get a first-rounder next year. Uh, I'm a big fan of this move. Yeah, I think it's a really good move as well. And, and the, do you remember, Kevin, I guess it would have been last year, obviously, when we were scoreboard watching a lot for the Cleveland Cavaliers to figure out what was going to happen with that Pacers pick and whether or not they were going to get a first-round pick right. that year. Levert trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this one's going to be like next year, right? Because it's conditional on like three different teams and who has the worst record. It's protected in a couple of areas, but in terms of the pick for next year that they received. Yeah, I thought Tony East did a wonderful job clarifying this yesterday. Indiana trades number 29 and 32 tonight. They get Denver's 40th pick tonight, and then a first-rounder from Denver next year. That first-rounder technically is an Oklahoma City pick. And again, this is very confusing, but these are the four teams that come into play here 
the Pacers will either get Houston selection, Utah selection, Oklahoma City selection, or the Clippers. They will get the worst of those four teams' picks. Now, let, now let me ask you this. When you say the worst, you mean... The lowest in round one. Okay, and again, I, I, pardon me for being an, an idiot here. When you say lowest, to, to me lowest means like 18 versus one. Well, worst, some people, worst is probably the, be, the, the, the best way to describe okay. it. The worst pick. The one closest to round two. Okay, that, that's my point being... I think there were some people that thought by worst I think there were some people that read that and thought whichever team has the worst record they get that pick. So basically how it would have looked this year is Houston has pick number 4, Utah has pick number 9, Oklahoma City has pick 12 and the Clippers have picked 20. So if it would have gone off this year's final standings the Pacers would be getting the 20th pick gotcha. in the 2024 NBA draft and again this year they traded the 29th pick so you know by all accounts it's going to be something in the 20s you know I would assume the Clippers or I, I mean hell maybe the Thunder put it together and, and get into the playoffs next season um, but I am a fan of this and you bring up the Karis Levert thing a couple of reasons why I like it one in no way shape or form did you have room for five draft picks tonight You've got 12 guys under contract for next season. You don't have room to spend picks on each of those five guys. Two, I think you want to continue to make sure that you have some sort of future resources in the cupboard because you never know when you want to turn the leaf over and say, all right, we're done acquiring picks. We now need to make some win-now moves. And when you look at the Karis LeVert trade, for example, or you look at what Boston did in trading with the Pacers for Malcolm Brogdon, you know, at some point, you're going to be in a position you would hope as a franchise where, all right, we want to trade the pick for a player because we feel like that player is the missing ingredient. And that, I think, is what part of this deal is. You now have two first-round picks for next year. You still have, you know, four picks tonight. Um, but I am a big fan of making sure that you keep the, the that that cupboard stocked a little bit if and when you want to all of a sudden change your tune and say, all right, we're done acquiring the assets. Let's go out there and try to turn some of these future picks into actual players. The other thing I think it does, it kind of buys you time, Kevin. Like, you know, the Pacers this year, they have a lot of picks, or they had a lot of picks, and it was unrealistic to think that they were going to have the roster space or the room or whatever to, to plant all of those picks within their franchise. So this sends two of them out. I mean, you you, you net one spot, if you will, because you're sending two out and you're getting one back for this year, kind of in the same vicinity. But you also are, because of the fact that you're taking two, you know, 29 and 32, and like, to your point, probably making it like a 20 next year, that buys you some time to figure out who you can run with and who you can make, where you can make room for another young first rounder next year. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, and you have to keep tweaking and building this. Like, I, yes, did you speed up the rebuild a little bit with your success this past season? Certainly, but it's not finished. It's not 2023 offseason and you're done. You have to continue to try and you know, kind of alter some things and make sure that the pieces stay in place. And maybe you need to add a piece that 
at this current juncture, it doesn't look like you necessarily need. And, you know, I've said this a thousand times about the Pacers. When you take the GM or the president job in a market like this in the NBA, the draft just matters more. Draft picks mean more. You're not going to attract the type of free agents like other markets can. So the more draft picks you have and the ability to trade those draft picks, the better. So uh, I thought it was a smart move by Kevin Pritchard. And so that means tonight it looks like this. Pick number 7, pick number 26, and then that Denver pick number 40 and 55. So they've gone from five selections to four. Yeah, they netted one, basically. Or they, they lost one, if you will. Yeah, two okay. in round one, then that 40th pick in round two, and the 55th pick also in round two. Uh, good morning to you, by the way. It's a Thursday. Jay Quarry, that's the voice of Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Quarry on 93.5107.5 The Fan. A lot of talk about the NBA draft uh, coming up tonight. Also, the Reds and and I'm not trying to make light of it at all. It would it would seem as though the submarine story, unfortunately, is not going to have a happy ending, right? Are, are we past the time of them being able to do like a rescue and probably now a search? Are we still giggling about it? I, I think that here, here's the thing. I I don't think that I'm out of bounds in saying this. I it's one of those. I mean, it is such a horrific situation from a humanitarian standpoint that it's almost like there's no way to take in the news of it all than just like have to like chuckle at kind of the absurdity of again I I want to go back to there's there's not a single funny thing about what's happened to these folks there is a a totally incredulous thing about how it came to be that way and that's what people are chuckling about just like in the what I mean more and more stories are coming out of people like within that. And I'm not saying they. I don't want it to come off like, well, that's what they that's what they get. But I mean, that company that built that thing, I, I mean, every story that's come out is like people within the own company itself were like, yeah, this has no business going down and doing this thing. Like, this is not ready for this. Yeah, we're, fl- we're hoping for a miracle at this point. Yeah, I mean, and and. You know, even if they locate it, which I hope they do, bringing it back up is a whole different animal. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, see, from a time standpoint with the oxygen and all of that, um, yeah, just awful. I, I saw the um, the uh, NBA All Star announcement yesterday. Did you do? Did you see that for um, Saturday night here of All Star Weekend? I saw. I, I just saw like the, a thing about that it was in the news that the countdown was on and, and the mayor held a press conference. So they announced yesterday that for All Star Weekend. The Saturday night activities will be over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, at first, I was just kind of like surprised by it. The more I read about it, though, I'm like, wow, this is a, I think, a really cool idea. And it allows for many more fans to be in the building Saturday night and to experience All-Star Weekend. And it also allows for much cheaper tickets. I know Scott Agnes was over there at the press conference, so we'll talk with him a little bit more about it uh, coming up at 9 o'clock. But basically, it's going to look like, you know, picture the final four setups that we've had in Lucas Oil Stadium. So the court will be kind of in that south end zone. And obviously, the viewing lines in that building are not ideal. But for a lot of people, I think they're just going to want to check off the box and say, yeah, 
I was able I, to go correct. to you know, I was part of the festivities. All-Star yeah. Weekend. And so Saturday night, the three-point contest, the dunk contest, the skills competition inside of Lucas Oil, uh, the attendance for that, they say, will be around 35,000 seats. And these ticket prices, the first 10,500 tickets are going to go on sale to people in Indiana coming up late next month. So we get first dibs on it, and the ticket prices... 24 bucks, 49 bucks, and 79 bucks. That seems pretty manageable to me. Very. And again, you double the capacity in going over there on Saturday night. Obviously, the game Sunday will be back inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, but this is a little bit of a wrinkle. We haven't seen really many um, host cities do this. Um, I like it. I think it's cool. Now, this is the opposite of the way things were in 1985. The only other time the NBA All-Star Game came here. In 1985, when the NBA All-Star Game was here, your MVP was Ralph Sampson, by the way. Probably the most iconic image of that All-Star Game weekend was Michael Jordan and uh, in the dunk contest against Dominique Wilkins. And all of the pre-festivities, the dunk contest, the three-point shootout, were at Market Square Arena. And then on Sunday, the All-Star Game was in the Hoosier Dome. Yeah. Now it's the other way around, right? Now it's the Dome on Saturday and then the the more intimate feel of the game itself at Gamebridge Fieldhouse on Sunday. So you get a bigger crowd, much more manageable price point for for us in this state. What is the the price for a ticket to the All-Star Game? Can the general public even buy tickets? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for that. I I don't know. We'll ask Scott that at 9. I think it would be difficult to get one of the coveted whatever it is. How many? Is it 17,000 inside of Gamebridge? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to want to experience this, the Saturday night option is your best bet. I, I would assume it's got a very corporate feel to it on Sunday. I would, yes, I would think that's correct. Um, so again, this will be Saturday, February 17th. Um, if you look at kind of the renderings of the court, again, it, it very much looks like a Final Four where the court is in that south end zone at Lucas Oil. Uh, they'll throw up a big curtain, and then I guess on the other side of that, throughout the evening, there will be some concerts and things like that. Um, so I was curious, you know, what twist and what changes would we, Indianapolis, do as a host city? And this appears to be that. You know, again, Scott, I think, was at the All-Star Game in Utah last year, and he mentioned that you know, there were times where you you would have to get on a 20-minute bus ride for, you know, practices and interview sessions. Obviously, here, you're not going to have to do that. Right. Um, so, I thought that was a cool idea by the host committee in doing that. Uh, the other thing, too, someone just asked me, they're like, why wouldn't they just play the game in the Dome? Uh, I think an, a, an aspect of that answer lies in this. As I'd mentioned, things were different nearly 40 years ago the last time we did this here in Indy. I think that corporate sponsorship of the NBA is such that I would, I don't know this, but my very large assumption would be that when you have an arena that was built for the NBA franchise and the corporate sponsor dollars that go into that, the Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Gamebridge is paying that money partially, well, almost entirely, sure. They have concerts there. Sure, the state finals are there. But a large percentage of that sponsorship is tied to the fact that it's the home of the Indiana Pacers. The signage inside the arena, so much of that is tied to and directly related to sponsorship dollars to support the NBA. 
the NBA would be adamant that their showcase event would be held inside of the venue that best al- allows eyeballs to their sponsors. That's a good point. I mean, sure, you could put a Gamebridge sign in Lucas Oil and you could put you know the other signs, but I think the authenticity of the money that went into the venue under the understanding that that money was being paid because that's the venue where NBA events are held leads to that responsibility of making sure that that's where it's executed. Another thing to mention, the host committee is going to purchase and hand out 2,400 tickets to Saturday night to nonprofits and community organizations here in the in the Indy area. So, again, Saturday night, three-point skills, dunk contest inside of Lucas Oil, 35,000 tickets ranging from $24 to 79 uh, what a third of those tickets of the thirty-five thousand go on sale to us right here in the state of Indiana. That's coming up on July twenty-fourth. So, uh, kudos to the co- host committee uh, for that one. By the way, you guys had mentioned um, Mark. Did you finish the show Jury Duty? Yes. <laughs> is it? Did you laugh, Mark? We did. Yeah. How many Very episodes is it? Eight. And they're all like twenty minutes each. Uh huh. Because I watched the first one, and I guess it just kind of is great laying the groundwork. I mean, there were a couple of chuckles, but I didn't find it like overly like. So does it get better? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. You're laying the groundwork in the first episode. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Maddie's still laughing about it. Okay, keep going. Hang in there. Yeah, give it, give it a chance. <laughs> I, I wasn't I wasn't ready to bail on it altogether. It, it was. I felt like it was getting a tough sell, and because I think Shannon was kind of like, okay. It's okay. But, like, you know, I was waiting for the hijinks. Does that make sense? Because you guys were complimentary well, of it. Yeah, they, they have to. And for those who don't know, the Jury Duty show is on Amazon Prime. It's a, a show where uh, this guy thinks he's on a documentary style. And that guy is not an actor, right? No, he's on a documentary style thing about jury duty. But he plays his role The so twist well. is that he is the only real person everyone else literally everybody that walks the halls that's in on the jury the judge the police officer everyone else is an actor so okay so here's my question because you just said that kevin he plays his role so well well yes he he's not an actor but he's the perfect sort of personality and temperament to what you would want in that role. so he is literally though not aware of it he's oblivious (laughs) he's in the clouds I mean that 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 part alone. So once they got this seems like a huge roll of the dice though because what if they got all the way done with it? Yeah, if they got you they they'd be in trouble. You'd be way too curious. You, you, yeah. Is that a compliment? Sure. But but what I'm saying is what if they got all the way done with it and then he was like, "No, I'm not signing off on you guys using me like that." Yeah, I I guess that's a risk you take and you try to sweeten the commas and the zeros on it. I'd be boy. I'd be holding out for a long Milking time. Milking that? Heck, are you kidding me? Uh, did you watch college baseball last night? Uh, Florida moving on, right? And LSU Wake Forest. We got a big time pitching matchup to join Florida in the title game. Yeah, I was I was a little disappointed to see TCU lose. Yeah, the Horn Frogs. Florida. It was in the ninth when Florida took it, right? Yeah. So Florida is in the championship series. They will await the winner of Wake and LSU. LSU wins last night to keep their season alive and set up this winner-go-home game tonight, and I guess we have a pitching matchup tonight, which, you know, I feel like when you kind of get deep into these respective tournament runs, you inevitably get a team that's like, boy, 
None of our starters are ready to go. It's going to be a bullpen night. We're just scrambling at this point right. in the postseason. Tonight, each of these starters for LSU and Wake supposedly are supposed to be top 15 picks. I make it fun to watch, right? So if the NBA draft starts to bore you. I know Wake Wake's pitching staff is what has, you know, left. that's the one that has put them in this great stratosphere this year, supposedly. Yeah, they've been really good all season long. So down to three teams in Omaha, uh, and obviously tonight's the NBA draft. I continue to be a fan of a Jarris Walker or a Taylor Hendricks. Jake, anybody else you wouldn't mind seeing there at – at pick seven for the Pacers, if indeed they continue to stand pat over the next 12 hours? You know, I have not seen them play. I, I can't imagine that one of those Thompson brothers is there. Um, Walker Hendricks. I, I think the third name that, you know, you mentioned Walker Hendricks. I, I think Cam Whitmore, Villanova, if he's there, he's very intriguing. And then, but I have a feeling, and I want to make very clear. I have zero knowledge on this. Zero. I thought you were going to sing a Black Eyed Peas song there. But <laughs> but I have a I have an odd feeling that you cannot rule out them taking Grady Dick at that spot. At seven. Yes. Gosh, all this talk about defense and that's the path I, they go. I, I'm just saying I, I I don't know that I have nothing to base that on other than just I don't know. Yeah, team that ranked thirtieth in scoring defense and 29th in rebounding. I I like I, I think Grady Dick will be a fine pro, but that cannot be the selection in my mind at seven. Um, you know, Walker and Hendricks are different types of players, but both of them you mentioned defense first, which I think is really really important. It's just kind of the flavor of what you want, assuming both will be there, which is probably not an assumption that is fair to make it seems like there is some chatter about one probably walker of the two that would go ahead of indiana there at seven um so we'll get into that today did uh no shock probably to people in this market you see malcolm brogdon failed physical on that trade yesterday i know that trade was i mean it'd been circling around and commented on for forever right um so you have Kristaps Porzingis heading to Boston and Marcus Smart to Memphis. Those were the headliners. I think Boston actually gets two first-round picks. Washington involved is the third team. Doesn't Marcus Smart just fit Memphis? 1,000% yes. I mean, is that are, – are they bringing in Marcus Smart to be the veteran tutor for John Morant? Well, and obviously I would assume this means Dylan Brooks is gone, gone. I think they, they basically said as much, right? I, I wonder where Dylan Brooks is going to end up because for those unfamiliar, Dylan Brooks was the guy against the Lakers that spouted off and was like, LeBron can't guard. I mean, I can't remember what he said, but he basically like challenged LeBron and then he went out and went and shot like 20% in the series and LeBron had triple doubles every game and it was just like, what are we doing here? You know, I like the challenge. He just seemed like kind of a knucklehead and he kind of shot them out of that series Porzingis is fascinating to me because he is a unicorn there's no doubt about it but like Porzingis is kind of one of those guys Kevin I'm like are we still doing this yeah I know I mean like how many games has he even played he's he could shoot I, I saw him here I think it was last year one of the few games where he was like how I mean he he's seemingly health is an issue with him there was a game here where he hit like his first five threes in like the first four minutes of the game, it felt like. It's like, man, this guy can – obviously, he's a mega talent. 
but let's see what his – I want to see how many games he's played. I could be way off on this, but doesn't it feel like he hasn't played a lot of games? Yeah, I his... felt like last year he was a little bit healthier. I don't know. I, I, it could be – Yeah, okay, he played 65 games last year, but he played a total of 51 games. Uh, I guess, okay, 51, 51, 43, 47. He's never played more than 72 in a season. He played 65 a year ago. But last year he averaged – Porzingis still gave you 23 a game, okay? I mean, that just seems 23 and 7 per game. Yeah, losing smart, I, I think, will be something to keep an he eye on. He is a smart is a, is a key player for them. Yeah, and, you know, does a lot of the dirty work. Um, so he is off to Memphis. That's probably the first kind of big deal we've seen here. And obviously today, uh, we'll continue to monitor things leading into tonight. Jake, you think the trade, so no more 29, no more 32. The Pacers have 26 40. Does that mean that they're too high at 26 for Trace Jackson Davis and too low for him at 40? That's a really good question. I think 26 is right. I think 26 is right around when you're starting to open the door for Jackson Davis to to walk into the draft, if you will. I It does feel like Kevin, if you had you know, if you had when you had 26, 29, 32, I, you know, it felt like that gives you a little bit of a, a safety net to play with one of them and maybe go outside the box and maybe Trace Jackson Davis would have been that and that just based on what they need. So I don't know. If they take him at 26 now, it means they really, really, really feel like, no, no, this is the guy that's better than, than everybody else at that spot. I I think that's around the area where he's going to start being. You know when they do during the draft, they have that list of best player available? Yeah, uh-huh. I think – his name starts to, on that little ticker, starts to appear around 26. You know, I'm sure teams give false promises to a lot of prospects, but for what it's worth, I I think Trace was told by Golden State that they like him at 19. Now, you know, I guess you can insert your jokes here, a naive nature to, you know, how many prospects are they telling? Hey, we like you at 19. Well, yeah, we also like five other people, and if they're on the board... We like you a little bit the, higher than that. Apparently, the athletic has said that at forty, which is the pick um, that the Pacers just acquired, that forty is where they would take Trace Jackson Davis. That he that there is a mock from the athletic that has him going to the Pacers at forty. I, I again, I think late. I think twenty five to thirty, the back end of that, like twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, somewhere around there is where his name will start to be glossed over or, you know, looked at by teams. And then I'll be curious to see if he falls to forty. If he was there at forty, I would agree. That that's he is a known commodity. You know what he can do. It might be limitation in what he can do versus the potential of what other players can do in multiple areas. But in Jackson Davis's it, it, it's kind of like this. If you are building a house and you've got your choice between one guy that is kind of a handyman that can do a lot of different things, none of them exceptionally well, but he's a handyman that can do a lot of things, or they say, or we can send you a guy that is one of the best roofers and um, guys laying the, the hardwoods in the neighborhood. He can only do those two things, but he does those two things really well. Do you get the guy that like you can just kind of put anywhere and have him work for the tomorrow on the piping and tomorrow on the painting and whatever or do you get the guy and you say i'm just going to go ahead and get my flooring and roofing taken care of yeah jackson davis is that latter guy i think a lot of the dilemma when you get into round two is 
Do you take the accomplished college player who, to your point, Jake, does one or two things maybe really well, or do you take the flyer on the international Correct. guy? Uh, that's a. I mean, and again, one of them turns out to be Draymond Green, and the other turns out to be, you know, Nikola Jokic, or or one of them turns out to be. Yeah, Nikolai Skidavili, yeah, you know, I mean, you and there's still know. an element for the Pacers of do they have roster spots? You know, it, guaranteed contracts. I guess right now it'd be seven to twenty six. That's fourteen guys under contract for next year. You're very quickly getting into two way deals. This is another reason why I just felt like there was no way you were going to spend five draft picks, and why yesterday's trade uh, to get a first rounder for 2024 made a whole lot of sense. So here is my NBA draft. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between lottery game that we're going to play not really but for fun theoretically you ready yeah we're going to have our own draft now we can't do this based on pick number one because you can kind of it's obvious what words may be used so if we were to just pick a number randomly well for that matter we could say for the pacers draft pick whoever the pacers take at seven assuming they stay at seven if you had to, if, if, if you were in Vegas and you could put down on, you know, you, you, this was a wagering game, you've got to pick or buy one of these adjectives, and whichever one is the first that is used on draft night by the panel of 16 analysts that are on the stage, you win the million dollars. And your choices are long, upside, quickness, raw, wingspan, high motor, basketball IQ. Which one is the one that will be first used in describing the Pacers pick and which one Mm. is most Mm. used over the course of the first round? Oh, I would say for the Pacers pick, long and wingspan. Because if it's Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, both of those dudes have wingspans over seven feet. So I would venture to guess and slash hope that would be the first one used. Uh, in general, it's got to be upside, right? <laughs> right? I'm going. I feel like that's what you get after you get out of like the top 10. You're like, oh, he's got upside. Oh, but I, I still feel like in the top 10 you get it. I mean, the two Thompsons didn't play college basketball. You know, obviously, Webb and Yama's international prospect. Scoot Henderson didn't, you know. I, I feel like long. Every player's long. 
Well, he's long. He's got a high. Of course, if the thing is, long is kind of a parlay because if you're going with long, then you usually get wingspan that 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 is right around with it, right? I always am curious why age is such a huge like people act like Trace Jackson Davis and Chris Murray are 45 years old entering this draft. Did we have the age debate with Will Levis and Anthony Richardson? Oh, <laughs> it was very very static. Yeah. To the degree that we would have it if we were debating a 20 versus 24-year-old in the NBA. Isn't the shelf life in the NBA a lot longer than it is in the NFL? Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I think because part of the NBA draft is it's like playing the stock market. You're buying future, like future stocks, basically. And... With it, the, the older a player is, the closer it feels like they are to what you're going to get out. Of, you're already getting the sample size, and, and I think teams like to buy the intrigue of somebody of what are they going to be in three to five years. You know, they're still growing into it. Everybody wants to hit, right? Everybody wants to find their Giannis, their you know, I mean, hell, their their Jokic, a guy that like, oh man, look look how smart they were. You want to ask Rake about your about your game here? Greg Rexdale joins us now on the Payless Hookers Hotline. Uh, Greg, if you were to pick one of these two phrases, with a the one that will the phrase that will be used the first to describe the Pacers pick, and then b the one that will be used the most in tonight's first round television coverage. Your options are long, upside, quickness, raw. Wingspan, high motor, high basketball IQ. Which one of those gets uttered the most tonight? Uh, I would, I would say long. Do you throw athletic in there? Ooh, um, athletic's a good one. Yep. Clear, clearly upside because uh, you're drafting some <laughs> freshmen or international players. Um, but for the Pacers, I would say. I would say long and defender would be what gets used the most at pick number that's, seven. That's what Kevin's going with. Okay. Rake, are we still in that streak of an Indiana high school prospect going in round one? I, I, I kind of forget if that streak is still alive. Yeah, I'm, I'm spacing on that one, too. We have somebody taken in the first round last year as well. Well, I guess LaRavia, right? Well, and Jay Nivey. Yep. Correct. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that. I felt like in the last like two to three years, maybe the streak stopped, but I wasn't a hundred percent positive on that. The other thing I was going to ask you in regards to that, the Indiana high school prospect that averaged the most points in the NBA last season was Desmond Bain. What do you remember about Desmond Bain in high school? The Desmond was a heck of a player at Tiny Seton Catholic. Uh, people knew that he was a Division One level kid. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be an NBA player. Um, like he's a max know, NBA player now. He's getting that direction. I mean, it, 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 the numbers he's putting up is 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 something impressive. But you know, he was an Indiana All Star level kid, and he was a kid that kind of took forever to figure out where he's going to go to college because he's kind of like you know waiting for the proper opportunity. Uh, late in the game, in comes TCU. Clearly, everything worked out for him there. Uh, but uh, but being being an all star level player from a high school that had less than 100 kids, that's immediately what comes to mind. Greg Regstra is our guest. Payless Sugars Hotline. Greg, let's start with the Pacers in the draft tonight uh, before we get to other things. I, I personally feel like um, 
and I know that defensively that's what's going to intrigue them, and that's what theoretically they're going after with pick number seven is is I think Walker of Houston's probably the safest bet. Um, Whitmore from Villanova. Do you see any chance that they go anything away from defensive forward? No, and just just because they've got you know they, they've got so many pieces that are similar. You know, with with Matherin, with Neesmith, they're kind of overloaded the point guard position with you know with Tyrese, with 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 Nemhard, with TJ. Um, you know, the fact that I can spit out five players that can play kind of the one, two, or the three, and you don't have that same thing at the four. You tried Jalen Smith there last year, didn't really work. Um, you know, you're thinking about him or Jackson as your backup and not the four. You've got a glaring at the four. Now the four again is a lot different. Uh, what it was, uh, you know, just a, a few years ago. We're not talking about Dale Davis, you know, lining up next to, uh, you know, Miles Turner here. Um, but, but again, knowing that that the need is is pretty easy to see, I think it's that type of player they are going with. And again, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that I can, you know, spit out so many facts about Walker, Whitmore, Hendricks, etc. Um, I really think it comes down to. I think if Walker's available at seven, I think that's the guy to go with. Greg Rakestraw, IFC Sports Network, with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Rake, a guy that will certainly, by all accounts, uh, continue whatever Indiana High School streak there is in a couple of years would be Flory Badunga out of Kokomo. I, I was reading something, I think Kyle Benrip wrote this from over the weekend. Flory Badunga is going to play high school soccer this year for Kokomo. Is that correct? <laughs> I heard that yesterday as well. Uh, I was having a conversation with one of my Kokomo buddies, and yes, Flory is uh, Flory's getting I'm sure that played the sport growing up. Is this a goalie? Um, uh, that that's what George Hill. I think Flory's going to be a field player. Yeah, somebody sent me a picture of him playing in the field for Kokomo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is incredible. I mean, when you think about this day and age in high school athletics and the specialization of it and I mean hell if you're Flory Badunga nowadays 70-80% of those guys go and play at some sort of prep school or academy or whatever overtime elite uh, and now this dude is going to be playing soccer in the NCC conference not bad right (laughs) you know I, I think what it is too is that you know, there are, and maybe this happens more in football, um, but there, there are guys that will be, you know, football players, but also baseball or, or basketball players as well as football that will play through their junior year. By the time they get to their senior year, like, hey, I'm going to focus on football. I'm going to maybe gra- even graduate a semester early. Um, so many kids that are top-end basketball players, again, occasionally you get a kid that's really good at football or a baseball player out of that group. But you don't know there are kids that are specialized over the years. Flory is so good in terms of, of where his recruiting level is. He's fully at work still to improve his, his offensive game. But he's so good, it's not like a school's going to say, hey, we're not going to recruit you if you play soccer. We're, th- we're worried about you damaging your stock. No, he's like so elite nationally, like, you know, top five to ten player in the nation. Nobody's going to tell him no. You know, no, Michigan, Duke, Purdue, Indiana, etc. Nobody's going to say, "Hey, we don't think you should be playing in soccer this year." That's how good of a player he is. So I think it's great that he's going out and doing something like that. In terms of his, and Greg, I, it's not like any of us necessarily, quote unquote, know, right? 
But from, from what you hear in terms of his recruitment, you know, initially I think a lot of people thought Cincinnati because he has like a familial tie with the group, that, with the, the folks that, that are why he's in Kokomo or here, as I understand it. Purdue has is apparently been, you know, pretty consistent with him. But he went to Duke yesterday. He's visited, visited Indiana now. He's got literally his pick of the crop is there any school that appears to be or is thought to be a leader for him or is it wide open again there's the family tie to cincinnati um michigan i i i think there was a a a feel of a good fit there but i truly think it's wide open um and and again he is such a special talent uh, in terms of the things that he does exceptionally well that he had his pick. And it's truly any school in the country would say, we've got a spot for you. Uh, and so I, I don't think there's a leader in the clubhouse right now. Um, I, I, th- I think it truly is, you know, o- open for where he wants to go because I think the possibilities are limitless for that kid. Rick, it's always a little bit of everything whenever you hop on with us, so I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. But I think given your soccer background, uh, you'll have something on this. I saw that the U.S. women's national team announced their roster for the World Cup upcoming here in Australia and New Zealand. I think it starts late next month. They're going for a three-peat, which has never been done, and I saw that Dennis Rodman's daughter is on the team. That is Trinity, correct. And again, Dennis was, was not an active participant in her life growing up, um, but, but she has... She is, is, is one of 14 uh, first-time World Cup participants for the U.S. women's team. Is so she a starter? For, uh, she, she could be. I mean, huh. thing is, on a World Cup roster, you're taking 23. Right. Uh, and so you're, you're not, you know, other than the backup goalkeeper or two that usually don't play, everybody else is usually going to see some time. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, she's one of the she's one of the better players in, in the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. So she's a very talented player, uh, and so uh, I think she's going to start. Uh, and if not, and you know, she's going to see some minutes at some point in time. It's kind of the way that, that things shape up. So uh, our our team is the two time defending champs. I'm not sure we're the best. I mean, we're going to be the, one of the favorites. We always are. But again, it's it's. I think the world is starting to catch up with us a, a little bit more. Uh, and we are kind of going through this this changeover period where there are several new faces that are in the in the in the roster, and there's also been three or four injuries that that have happened to players that you know would have been playing. Uh, the latest one being Becky Sauerbrunn, who would be the team captain uh, that can't go because of an injury. So um, we're always a threat to win it. I don't think that we are the. I would, and when we say we were the slam dunk favorite the last couple of times, but we were we were the favorite. Um, I, I think I think we're one of a few favorites this time around. Jake, you care to guess the three other countries in our group? Now this is the women's World Cup coming up late right, next but month. The, the group is not necessarily like regionalized of the world. No, right? two from Europe and one non-European oh, okay. country. Yeah, I, I can't believe I didn't know this. Uh, Croatia, one, okay. right? Um, Denmark, okay. and then you know, really a, a sleeper in this whole thing, Guyana. I feel like we could be guessing for an hour for the fourth country. Uh, Netherlands and Portugal would be the two European countries. Okay. The fourth country, Vietnam. Really, Rick? Okay. I was shocked to see that. 
it's part of um, you know the, the the growth of the game. The field has expanded over the course of the last couple of World Cups, hmm. and so you get some more unique nations that qualify. I think we put it on Thailand like eleven nothing or thirteen nothing. Oh, forgot about that uh, in, in, in the last World Cup, and we were you know deemed to be you know poor sports because we you know ran it up a little bit. Uh, I, I I don't know what the strength of this Vietnamese women's team, but I would I would be thinking that maybe a similar result could be in order in the in the group stage opener for Team USA on July twenty first. July twenty first. By the way, Vietnam is supposedly. Um from everything I've ever read, absolutely gorgeous. Like, really? literally, yeah, one of the most, yeah, uh, just a beautiful country. Greg, appreciate it. Enjoy the, uh, hopefully, the the dry weather today, and always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Nine o'clock. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hour is underway. Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here. It is NBA Draft Day, as you just heard us talking about. Joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline to talk about uh, exactly that. Kevin, should we just go ahead right away and ask him to, to tell us who the Pacers are going to take seven? Oh, I'm sure Scott Agnes loves questions like this. Uh, all right, Scott. Yeah, might as well. We're going to ask you at some point. Uh, the pick at number seven will be who? Or will they make I a pick I at knew, seven? But yeah, I wish I knew and I just quit my job and uh, moved <laughs> to Vegas or something. I'm disappointed I didn't get the intro from Jake, but I'll say it's Jairus Walkers. I'm staying with him from several weeks ago. Okay. I'm I'm flattered that you're disappointed you didn't get it from me, but um, now yeah, I, I I did want to ask you, you did a mock draft correct with other you know beat writers around the league. Yeah, yeah, Dan Wilkie of the LA Times okay. had had one beat writer pick everyone in the first round, and you did take Walker at seven. I really like the Andre Jackson pick that you made, and I know this was pre the the Denver trade. Could you let us know who else was on the board when you took Walker at seven? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I think it was Taylor Hendricks. I think was so you went Walker or, over over Hendricks. I, I did do that one okay. in particular. A, yeah, any particular reason why that? I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of the majority of people, but there certainly are some people out there that uh, would like to see Hendricks over Walker. W- what made you go with Walker over him? Yeah, so KB, I think Jarris is just more ready made to 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 step right in. He's got a bigger build to him. Uh, like Taylor Hendricks is much kind of like Paul George, doesn't have an ounce of bat- body fat on him at all. So I- I'm really trying to shore up the three, more so the four spot. 
um, Walker's versatility defensively, really just his defense in general. I, I think he's he's one of those that will – he's kind of a quiet assassin from what I see. He's not like a, a Kevin Garnett or Draymond Green that's going to scream in your face and make sure you make sure you know he's there. He's just going to go block your shot three times. Um, I, I just really like all aspects of his game. The one area really that really separates – Hendricks from him is more so his outside shooting, but I don't. It's not something that I don't think can't be there for Walker. It's just not something he's done a, a, a lot or at a very high level. But overall, to me, Jarris is the is the better player. Hendricks is just coming off a, a really impressive surge at UCF this past year, um, and and I'm also a little bit skeptical of something like that in general. After one big surge, is there something more there? Um, or, or what's next. But Walker's been my guy, so uh, I'm going to stay with him. Do you think there's any chance, and by the way, there's a little bit more on Malcolm Brogdon in that trade that did not mm-hmm. go, that was that we'll get to here in a second, Scott, that just came out. But do you think there's any chance that the only player, I, I, I would tend to agree with those names that we're talking about. I, I don't know why I feel this way. I really don't. But I have this weird feeling that Grady Dick may be more in play with Indiana or more intriguing to them than than we might think. Only because of his I think he, he shot the ball really well and, and they were intrigued by that. Is there any chance they would reach that far, Scott? I just don't see it, Jake. Not at seven. I agree he would be a tremendous add to this team or others, but I see him more at 10, 11, 12, kind of like we were talking last year, right? If if the Pacers were able to obtain a second pick, then maybe a, something like Grady Dick makes a ton of sense because Rick Carlisle can't have enough shooters. We know how much that means to him. Grady Dick, the best shooter in this draft, over 40% from three last year, and he does a lot more than that. I know he gets pigeonholed as the shooter, but I still believe, yeah, that would be a reach at seven. And Scott Agnes with us, Fieldhouse Files. He'll have your draft coverage deep into this Thursday night. Scott, you mentioned something yesterday when the Denver trade went down. Again, the Pacers are getting a first-rounder next year. In your tweet, you had said they are not done yet. Uh, care to explain? Or expand, I, yeah, I guess? I just, I, yeah, I just mean in general. It's nothing specific or something I know or am teasing by any means. It's just they probably have at least one more pick than they want here. And on top of that, we know they're going to have to, they're probably going to make some changes to the current roster, whether it be center, whether it be at shooting guard. So this team's going to be active here over the next week. They already have over the last 10 days or so. I think going back to like last Monday in terms of starting to field calls and make more calls to kind of establish and figure out the value of the seventh pick in the others. And so in completing that deal, I think that's just kind of this first domino to what is a very important Pacers offseason. I was a I was a fan of this. I mean, again, to your point, you, you had a log jam of picks. You didn't have room to make five selections and have spots on your roster for all of these guys. And I just look at it as some point down the road, you hope to be in a position as a franchise to where you're doing the – and again, I, I know this is not a great example, but – 
at the time you thought you were upgrading your roster, you're doing the Evan Turner. You're you're doing the you know Andrew Bynum type of move. Mm-hmm. You know Boston and Cleveland did it with you and Karis LeVert and Malcolm Brogdon, where they traded picks for players. You know at some point you're going to be a top five six team in the East. And having you know multiple first round picks for next year to potentially try and do that, or maybe you're not in that position next year, and you you know package those two and move up, you know higher into round one come next June. To me, keeping that optionality to steal a word from Kevin Pritchard, I think makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and just having additional trade assets, and we don't know the range of the pick, of course, for next year. It's just important. Uh, to emphasize that it is not Denver's pick because we know that one almost assuredly would be right, like 28, 29, 30. So it's like, all right, why do the deal? Well, after more learn, more uh, discovery here after that trade, well, it's it's actually the worst of, of other teams. Is There's four different teams involved, and it'd probably be the Clippers' pick, and maybe you project them to have the 20th pick again type thing next year. Um, maybe slightly worse if they have better health, so you're looking at 23. But more than anything, I think this is just spacing out those picks, and so you're not bringing in five rookies or even three first-round pick rookies at the same time when already I think the Pacers are content with their youth outside of maybe adding the number seven pick. Then it's about adding uh, one veteran because we know their veterans and George Hill and James Johnson um, are both free agents this year, and then shoring up on the wing spot. And I think... I do expect just for how much they are talking to other teams about a wing, there are and the number of wings on the market and the lack of a true good market for free agency. I do expect them uh, in the next week to to really get in on a a player via trade. I think that's also that's that's in large part why I said and they're not done yet. Scott Agnes is our guest on the Payless Circus Hotline. Scott, obviously, I did not hear this because it was during the time that we've been on the air, but I'm reading it. Uh, this apparently was said by Brian Winhorst, who I think is, you know, pretty knowledgeable. And I don't because based on where this was sent out, I believe that he did say this. "Quote Brogdon talking about Malcolm Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon has a health issue, a health issue that, as I understand, is so significant that not only can the Celtics not do this trade, there's probably no Malcolm Brogdon trade that they can do in the short term." End quote. Um, would that be just part of, do you believe, like some of the injuries he's had with the Pacers, or is there just no way to know that at this point? Yeah, first of all, I, I trust Wendy. He's one of the most plugged in there is in the NBA. And uh, in terms of, I, I don't have knowledge of what it is, but I would guess it, Malcolm's body has just been so beat up with, with notable injuries and things I had never even heard of. Part of what he and the other players of the last three or four years when the Pacers are really down on injuries took me through is learning these new injuries. And he had like a right abductor. It was like a right hip muscle tear. Well, I would guess it's something like that, that either he played through or was less significant to them than maybe one of these other teams had thought. Um, But very likely than not stuff like that. They try to keep mum just because if they do want to trade him but that w- that would absolutely come up in a physical that he must pass for a trade to go through yeah anytime you see a news item kind of like that i i don't know if it you know kind of spurs the same memories but i do think about the carousel vert thing scott from a couple of years ago was it was sure. it was it a tumor in his kidney was that correct that's right and only discovered because the pacers took x-rays and mris leading to the physical and it's something not every team does that's not mandatory 
having a physical is, but doing extensive tests like that. They did one on his back. Um, so who knows how long he had had that tumor, and ultimately they had to remove that kidney. And, and not just presumably, they, pre- they, they saved his life. Scott, I was hoping you could share some thoughts. And again, Fieldhouse Files for Scott Agnes. Share some thoughts on your experience out in Utah last year for the All-Star Game. We saw the announcement yesterday. I, I'm not, I'm a big fan of the fact that they'll be at Lucas Oil on Saturday night. You get more people in the building. Uh, ticket prices seem to be very manageable for us here in Indy. The first third of those 35,000 tickets are going to go on sale next month, so we'll get an opportunity to get first dibs on them. I mean, that, that, that checks a lot of boxes for me. How would you compare the setup on paper here in Indianapolis to your experience in Salt Lake City? Yeah, so I I think two A's that are really big in this are kind of affordability and availability. And those are things that aren't usually the case with massive events like this, right? If you were trying to go to Indy Super Bowl, I would have loved to go. It would have been several thousand dollars. Good luck. Um, If you're trying to go to the All-Star Game on Sunday, I'm sure it's a four-digit ticket at least. And one of the big hesitations the Pacers and other franchises have in hosting events like this is upsetting their season ticket holders and locals in that they, they can't really attend these games. The NBA mostly runs these events. And so they come in and run it. And so uh, that's a challenge for Indy and other cities. So I like this move, even if um, from a basketball standpoint, no, I don't want to sit on the sixth level and, and watch the guys through binoculars. Like, but I can attend. I can be part of it. It might be the only time so many are able to attend events like this. Now, at uh, Salt Lake City this past year, um, this was, was all ha- held at their basketball arena, which is Vivint Arena. It will soon be the Delta Center once more. And so think about trimming the attendance number by probably at least 1,000 for other reasons, a stage, TNT set, some hospitality, probably by another thousand or two for the media and international media that come in. So you're only looking at like 14,000 seats is my rough estimate of the true capacity for events like this. And so now to beef it up to 35,000 and tickets aren't outrageous starting at like $29. So I thought this was a win-win for Pacers, the host committee, uh, the city, and really locals who want to just take part. We, we had that Super Bowl village. In large part, there will be a fan fest as well as this Saturday night event that they're going to really try to make about Indy and, and people in town that can attend the event. Scott, we were doing a um, our own kind of draft lottery. Okay. You could pick one of these words, and then every time it's used on the television broadcast in the first round, you get a buck. Okay, your options are long. So it's not take a shot. You said it was a drinking game. Well, earlier. I think if it was a drinking game. We wouldn't. We wouldn't make it past. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Uh, long upside, quickness, raw wingspan, high motor, high IQ, athletic. Which one would you take? I think upside would be the number one pick for me of that group. Mm-hmm. A lot of these get well, yeah, because every player they're going to say they have. Okay, what about this? Uh, floor ceiling. Would you take that over upside? No, I would not take that over upside. 
Jay. I'm going to go with long. Yeah, you get a Jay Bills. The next one would be wingspan. Wingspans are huge, and obviously, uh, pun intended there. But that, that's something that teams and, and scouts really are paying attention to. So I think wingspan would be my second. Get a Billis bingo card going for tonight and, <laughs> and, and, and the coverage and of the draft. And throw basketball IQ in there for, for third. Sure. Uh, Scott, last one for me. I want to go back to the All-Star weekend, and I don't think you, you, you mentioned this. So... Y- you're guessing around 14,000 for Sunday for the actual All-Star game back at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Is that right? Yeah, that'd be my rough guess. Okay. I was thinking about that yesterday, yeah. How do those tickets get distributed? Again, to me, it's going to be a much pricier ticket, but like, will a section of those be available for the community at all, or is that much more of a corporate feel? And maybe, they, I don't know, do they give 100 to each team? I have no idea how tickets get divided for the All-Star game. Yeah, my understanding, Kevin, is that that's all that's all NBA. So it's in league officials, it's other, it's it's teams, it's really league partners more than anything. Um, and and so that's they come in and will kind of run that show. Um, that's why the Pacers are able to move Saturday night opens it up to a whole new audience. Whereas, I mean, I know so many Pacers season ticket holders that are six months out already concerned they're not sure they're going to even be able to attend Sunday's event and, and yeah that's that's the concern I'm not sure if they're going to even be even have access to pay thousands of dollars for that ticket that's why this is so important so if you have a suite for the Pacers season you do not have a suite for all-star game great question I'm not a hundred percent sure but I'll go back to what I, I believe NBA completely comes in and takes over got it Okay, to put a bow tie on all of it, Scott. Scott Agnes, Payless Lickers Hotline, our guest. Three picks for the Pacers tonight. Do you believe, so two-part question. The first is? Four. They got four. Um, they got seven, 26, and 50, right? A 40. They, they oh, that's right. They picked up the Denver 40. Yesterday. Right, right, right. Yep. And 55. 55. So do they stay with those four? Seven, 26, 40, 55. Do they stay there, or is there still movement left to go? And I guess you answered the other one, which is you know Walker going with the first one in your opinion. Yeah, I would I would say it's more likely than not that they get involved in another another deal of some kind, whether it's packaging several of the picks to move up some spots and go get a guy that they're feeling very good about, um, or whatever. Again, I don't think they need four picks at that, and so uh, I, I would. I would more likely than not expect for a trade to go down. And then, yeah, in, in terms of my pick, I'm staying with power forward Jairus Walker from Houston. Does Trace Jackson Davis get discussed within the war room? And is it possible that he ends up with, like, let's say four? I don't think he'll be there at 40. But if he if he is, does he? is there a chance he ends up here? Yeah, I think so. I, I think he's a, he would be an excellent pick at 40. It's. It's really, I, I thought he might be the, an option at 32, but now that you don't have that, 26 is very early for me. That's um, right about I, the time I think his name, I told Kevin, when they have that list on the right-hand side of best player available, I think right around 26 is when his name starts showing up at the bottom of that list, right? And that's fair because I, I think anywhere from 24 to 40, I think that's kind of Sacramento's at 24. They were very high on him, really liked his workout 
could like him next to or, or behind the lineup and, and Sabonis and playing the three and four spot. So, yeah, I agree with that. For the Pacers in particular, though, I felt he was more 30 to 35. I would have been content with taking him if he was available then. Over under three and a half cups of coffee today, Scott. Oh, over. Absolutely. Is that a daily over or is it a, just a special occasion for tonight? No, I'm probably two to three plus each day, so um, I'll easily blow past the three and a half today. He's no got, problem. He's got a drip of dark roast at his house right now that he just <laughs> an literally IV. an IV just right by his bedside. Scott, uh, I know it was, I guess, somewhat of an early morning for you hopping on with us. It's going to be a late night tonight. Good luck. Great work with your draft coverage, and uh, we'll be chatting with you next week about it all. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys, as always.